Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Monday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme with Sadie and John Paul taking the calls at 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And let's kick off by talking about the weather today. It isn't often in the middle of September we'll be talking about the weather, but it looks like we're in for a little bit of an Indian summer this week. Temperatures could go as high as what's been described by Met Aaron as the sizzling 23 degrees uh, Celsius today. As I've just mentioned in the weather forecast, we've got a warm and a humid day uh, today. At many areas, the temperature temperature should reach 22 degrees. And tomorrow, Tuesday, we're looking at 23 degrees. Very little rain is expected to fall this uh, week. So you can put the brollies away, but make sure you've got the sunscreen with you. And the good weather is forecast to continue on Wednesday. The country, again, we're going to have some uh, sunshine throughout Wednesday in particular with temperatures. 22, 23 degrees. Thursday, it'll get a little bit cooler, but still temperatures will be high for this time of year. 20 degrees. The warmest will be in the west on Thursday. And then Friday will be about 18 degrees, but still warm again for this time of year. So not a bad weather forecast for this week. And actually, it was uh, quite a nice day, particularly I think around Leinster seems to have got the best of the sunshine yesterday and in and around Dublin in particular. And lots of the newspapers showing photographs of people at the beach in Dublin and at various parks and uh, just people out enjoying the sunshine. And there's one photograph that caught my eye that's making the front page of the Irish Independent today. And, you know, it's the caption on it is a place in the sun. And they're talking about we're all set to sizzle in this Indian sunshine. But what struck me was it is a group of people enjoying the sunshine on the Canal Quayside in Portobello in Dublin yesterday afternoon. And, you know, some, you know, you can see the girls in their shorts and the guys in short sleeve shirts, some of them wearing shorts as well. And you know, there's little groups together. There's 13 in particular in this photograph, all sitting in a line along the canal. And what struck me straight away was, guys, what about social distancing? They're all, everyone is on top of each other. They're all beside each other. Now, I know people will say they're outside. None of them, by the way, are wearing masks. And I know that it doesn't state that we should be wearing masks uh, outside. But it just, when I saw the picture and said, 
please don't say that's Dublin. And then when I looked and saw, yeah, it's Portobello in Dublin, I just thought, dear God, are we? is the message just not getting through to the Dublin people? And more than a million people in the greater Dublin area are now facing the prospects of new COVID-19 restrictions, in particular restrictions on visits to people's homes. And that's why. Why? Due to the rate of concern, the rate of infections in the capital. And just... I'm starting to get very frustrated with the people of Dublin because we're hearing the messages every single day about what Dubliners need to do. And yet every single day when we get the daily numbers of new cases and then you wait for what's going to be the next piece of the information, how many of them were in Dublin, they're always well over half are in the Dublin Dublin area. And they've been warned. They were kind of given this week, wasn't it all of last week, to sort of, come on guys, smarten up your act you know what you need to do you know how you need to limit your contacts but I just don't know I see a photograph like that like that, and I think ah, I don't think the message is getting through at all so what's been spoken about now is new limits on visitors to a person's house and it's expected to be introduced as early as tomorrow in a bid to try to slow down the virus the opening of the wet pubs in Dublin now the wet pubs we know are due to reopen nationwide this day week the 21st of September but they're now saying that the Dublin pubs opening, it's a risk that they may not reopen. And ministers are set to deliberate on that issue particularly among the surge in the COVID-19 cases in the capital. The Gardaí, they've stepped up visible patrols in Dublin in a bid to ensure compliance with COVID-19 regulations in particular. They're stopping people and asking them about the wearing of face masks. Under the new measures to be considered by the government, the number of visitors allowed to a home in Dublin would remain at six. However, according to the Irish Independent today, the number of household visitors that they can come from is going to be reduced to as low as one. At the moment it's from three. You can have six people in your home from three different households. One of the suggestions will be that they will be discussing uh, today is that okay, well, they'll allow people in Dublin to still have six people in their home but they'll say they all have to come just from one household. And seemingly this was recommended by Neffet last week but the government put off a decision on the matter as ministers were continue to fin- finalising what is this a broader plan called Living with Covid. This is the plan that we're all waiting. It's going to be published tomorrow and it's going to kind of lay out how we're going to live with Covid over the next nine months. Now the figures for yesterday was 255 new cases and that's on a Sunday. That's a very high figure on a Sunday. Traditionally, we, we've seen lower numbers on the weekend and a lower number on Monday and it's really the Tuesday to Friday figures that are the highest figures but no, 255 for Sunday of which 156 of them were COVID positive cases in Dublin. So that's uh, over just over 60% of all of the new cases announced uh, yesterday. The acting chief medical officer, Roland Glynn, took to social media over the weekend, again urging people in Dublin to have fewer visitors to their home. He said the infection rate in Dublin was 78 cases per 100 thousand. That's the number that the number of cases could double, he said, in the next two weeks and that many infections were clusters in households. So when you look at that figure, 78 cases per 100,000. Remember last week when I went through it county by county and we were thrilled that Cork was third from the bottom of the list for the number of cases in Cork. We were just a little over seven cases per 100,000 people here in Cork. You know, 
compare that to 78 per 100,000 in uh, Dublin. Taoiseach Micheál Martin last night denied the government was acting too slow on introducing NEFIS recommendations around Dublin. He said that ministers will be acting uh, decisively tomorrow. Asked about the situation in Dublin, Micheál Martin says we have to learn also from what we've done in the past. Certainly the severe restrictions brought in in Kildare, Leash and Offaly did work. And to hear Micheál Martin say that, that we have to learn from the past and then to hear him say that we did a lockdown in those counties and it worked. Surely that's the answer to the problem in Dublin. We need to start if you can't lock down the whole of the city, then lock down the parts of it certainly where we are seeing a rise in figures. Government sources last night played down the chances of any imminent restrictions on non-essential travel in and out of Dublin as were imposed on the other three counties last month. And I just think the rest of the country is a bit baffled as to why they seem to be so slow to lock down or put tougher restrictions in place for the good people of Dublin. Now, the COVID subcommittee on COVID-19, they are meeting this evening as ministers seek to finalise the medium-term plan for living with COVID-19 with no end in sight to this pandemic. Strict limits on our everyday life are set to last for the next six months at least and the plan is going to set out these five level of restrictions. Now, we started talking about these last week. Level one will be the most lenient and if we were in level one, if the entire country was in level one or if the county of Cork was in level one, it would mean we'd be able to have up to 10 visitors from three different households in our own home. And then you go right up to a level five. Level five would have us return to the, where we were during the nationwide lockdown. Now, we are currently in what's Level two, when we hear all the different levels tomorrow, we're currently at level two of restrictions. Level three would involve instructions to people to stay within defined regions. Do you remember when we were back, whatever phase we were in at the time when we had to remain within our counties? That's what level three would uh, look like. In level one of the plan, attendance of up to... 500 people would be allowed to a sporting venue with a capacity for 5,000 understood is, is what has been pushed for in some gov- government circles for the bigger stadiums, the likes of Croke Park, Porky Cueve, the Aviva Stadium, uh, the, because you'd be able to space people out. The government is also likely to adopt this traffic-like system for foreign travel. That again was something that we mentioned last week. That's the one that's been developed by the EU. So we would get rid of that green list of countries that we had and instead we would go with this traffic-like system and we would follow what the rest of the EU is doing. But as I say, I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated with the figures rising in Dublin and the knock-on being that the rest of the country, are we all going to suffer because the figures are rising in Dublin? And we saw what happened with Leash, Offaly and Kildare and it was tough for Leash, Offaly and Kildare when they, they were forced to go into lockdown and shops that had just reopened and hotels and restaurants that had just reopened, they were forced to close and they did and they all did it overnight and there was heartbreaking stories of weddings because remember it was introduced on a Friday, weddings that were planned for the Saturday had to be cancelled but people abided by all of uh, the rules and yet for whatever reason they are just so slow to introduce these restrictions in Dublin and it is frustrating me. Is it frustrating you? 1850 And I know if they did introduce a lockdown to Dublin it would mean all non-essential travel in and out of Dublin but I'm wondering how many people at the moment are going in and out of Dublin for non-essential travel. I was listening to 
an author who has been interviewed on national radio at the weekend and she had travelled to the studios in in RTE for the interview and the she was being complimented for having come to Dublin and they were very thankful for her for being in studio and she admitted straight out that she had soul searched about herself her husband drove her uh, about herself and her husband going to Dublin I don't know what part of the country she came from but she had said she actually soul searched and said she was nervous about going to Dublin but they made the decision that they would they, they would go for the interview but she took every precaution possible. For example, she brought her own bottles of water with her. They brought their own food and snacks in the car so they wouldn't have to stop uh, anywhere in Dublin. They made sure they had enough petrol in the car to get them into Dublin and back home again so they wouldn't have to stop for petrol. And it was literally all their own hand sanitizer, everything with them. But they were just nervous about being in Dublin. And, you know, I, I, I smiled when I listened to her say it. And I realised, I mean, I haven't, I can't tell you the last time I was in Dublin and I don't know if I was forced for essential travel, if I had to go to Dublin, would I be feeling nervous about it? I certainly, when we were planning our staycation, Dublin was off the list straight away because there were so many COVID cases there a few weeks ago and just didn't want to take the risk of exposing ourselves to it. So we didn't go. And I'm assuming a lot of people are feeling the same way. So if they did put Dublin into a lockdown, which meant that for the rest of us in the country, we wouldn't be able to travel to it. I don't know how many people would actually be affected by it. And the other thing that I really noticed at the weekend, and I did a bit of research into it, I was hearing, you've possibly been hearing about Taiwan and how well Taiwan has been doing with COVID-19. But if I take you back six months ago, in the very early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, research at the John Hopkins Universities predicted that Taiwan would be one of the countries who would be most affected by COVID-19 and one of the reasons for it was that it's located just 130 kilometres from China. There is more than 400,000 of its 24 million citizens who work and uh, and go and res- regularly visit China and they also uh, at uh, up to well up to 2019 there was almost 3 million Chinese people came to Taiwan as uh, visitors. So they were expected to be one of the countries that John Hopkins looked at and said, yeah, they are going to be decimated by COVID-19. But Taiwan defied all of the expectations. Now, first of all, they started seeing what was happening in China. Obviously, the fact that it's one of their near neighbours. So starting in December, they started to realise there was a virus coming out of China. So they started planning and getting ready uh, for it. And out of their 20, just over 23 million people, they have had, wait for this, 500 cases of COVID-19 and only seven uh, deaths. They have never done a lockdown. They put in very effective contact tracing. And if somebody was traced, have, have, been, have been anywhere near somebody who'd had COVID-19, they had a 14-day compulsory quarantine. Now, a lot of people were forced to quarantine either because they came in contact with somebody who had COVID-19 or they had travelled. They carefully monitored everybody coming into the country, all Taiwanese people coming home, coming back into Taiwan. If they came initially anywhere from Wuhan, they were told straight away 14-day compulsory quarantine. Then it was Hubei, then any other area of China where there was cases where they started to see a rise in cases of COVID-19. Any people coming into Taiwan were forced to do these this 14-day compulsory uh, quarantine. Now, they are a very compliant people. 99.5% abided by the quarantine. Those that didn't 
were fined, were instantly tracked down and uh, fined. People were checked a couple of times a day, every day, to make sure that they weren't breaching the quarantine. But life has continued as normal in Taiwan. Not one business has closed, no school has closed, no creche has closed, no bar, no restaurant, no gym. All of the shops remain open. And the other thing in Taiwan that I, when I was looking over the weekend, trying to see what can we learn from Taiwan, previous to this ever happening, they have always been very good about hand hygiene. For example, hand sanitising stations in a normal convenience store, your normal corner corner shop. That was the norm. They always had hand sanitizers. People went in and out of shops and always sanitized their hands. They were very good at washing their hands. And it was it went back, I think, to SARS when they first had a SARS outbreak or when there was a SARS outbreak in China. And then the wearing of face masks, it's something that the Taiwanese people have always done. Like they were saying, for example, they didn't have to tell people to get in face masks because every household, every person automatically has face masks. And if they were going out ever before COVID-19 people wore face masks for example if they had a cough or if they had any kind of a sore throat or any kind of a nasal infection they wore a mask so that they wouldn't pass whatever kind of a virus or a head cold that they had that they wouldn't pass it on to other people so it became the norm for people to wear masks so that that isn't any way strange uh, for them but they are really uh, being held up as the poster boy of how to deal with a pandemic and defying all the expectations. Out of over 23 million people, just 500 cases and uh, seven deaths. We have a lot to learn from the Taiwanese. 1850 333 103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. So to call in to say that Barley Cove Beach has changed to red flag status, which means no swimming. And that's due to sightings of multiple Portuguese man of war uh, jellyfish. I saw some Facebook commentary on this over the weekend. There seemed to have been a couple of sightings of them washed up on beaches. Please be extremely careful. They're absolutely stunningly beautiful to look at and the colours of them are absolutely uh, gorgeous but a sting from one of these Portuguese Man Award jellyfish I'm told is excruciatingly painful and be, and please also be aware that even the dead Man of War which are washed up on shores and that's what I saw somebody put a, a, a picture up at the weekend I just I don't know if it was Barley Cove Beach it was certainly a West Cork uh, beach but even a dead Man of War washed up on a shore can deliver a sting so please be very very careful but we've just heard that Barley Cove Beach has changed to red flag uh, status and of all weeks when we're getting a bit of an Indian sunshine and people will be flocking to the beach to go for a swim that's all we need 1850 333 103 and thank you to somebody who says when I heard the I heard somebody being interviewed who was afraid of travelling to Dublin but I'd missed the beginning part of the interview so I missed the lady's name it was Rita Ann Higgins the poet thank you for that and she had travelled from Galway says Mary thank you Mary but she was just so nervous about her own water bottles with her uh, and everything but I understood I absolutely understood her concern and I didn't think she was being over the top about it uh, Rita Ann Higgins she was the poet who wrote the she wrote a poem didn't she every week for, on Brendan O'Connor's show I'm, I'm sure throughout the pandemic thank you for that uh, Mary and just on uh, Dublin, Patricia, you were right. Uh, Dublin did have all the sunshine at the weekend, but they also have all of the COVID, says John in Clannacilty. Uh, sure, Patricia, they won't do the social distancing and they won't wear masks. And actually talking to Dublin, did you see that protest? 3,000 people wanting us to get rid of masks. That also happened in uh, Dublin. They won't do the non-visiting either. They're simply not uh, listening. God help their uh, ignorance. And the fear is how many lives will be lost uh, because of it. And somebody else says, lock the place down, 
Patricia. It's the only way. If that was any other county in this country, then the government wouldn't hesitate. But seeing as it's Dublin, they won't because it's the capital and where it all happens, so to speak, which is all so wrong. And so many other people feeling like that and making that point that it's just because it's Dublin, they seem to be hesitant about putting in any kind of additional restrictions. Well, let's see what happens, particularly tomorrow when we get this road map of living with the COVID plan and particularly when they come out with the different levels and the different the restrictions that will be in there from level one through to level five. If they base that on the number of infections per 100,000, then maybe their hands will be tied and they will be forced then to put restrictions in place. We will have to wait and see. 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Or today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 As society slowly starts to reopen and get back to some kind of normality families with adults with intellectual disabilities still very much feel that they are the forgotten people and are being left behind Fianna Fáil Cork North West Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan raised these families concerns at the Dáil last week and uh, he joins me this morning Good morning to you Mike Michael. Good morning. And, and firstly, on behalf of all of those families, because I'm, I'm in there, I'm, I'm one of those families as well. Thank you. You've been you've constantly been raising this issue uh, because we do feel like the forgotten people. And I'm forever hearing from families saying the very same thing. And you're one of the few who's always been there, you know, speaking up for us. So, so thank you for that. And, and, and we appreciate it. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Well, day services are slowly starting to reopen, but nothing near the five day a week level that was there before the pandemic uh, arrived. Is that the real problem at the moment? There is, yeah. The real problem, I suppose, the, the problem is, you know, the day services have been suspended for the last six months. And the reopening of the day services, you know, from the time that they were talking about reopening society going back to the 1st of June and, you know, the various dates that were there, the 8th of June, the 29th of June, the 20th of July, and so forth. And it was always you know, how are the day services going to be opened? It it is a challenge within COVID, within the restrictions that are there in COVID. There is is a challenge in it. But the problem with it is that we seem to, you know, we arrive now at the middle of September and there's no clear plan uh, in place for all of the services to reopen to make sure that they service, like these people, the people, the service users, and like they have been very, you know, satisfied with the services that have been provided down through the years. And there is challenges there. There's huge challenges there for the, the service providers, for the families, for the service users. But more importantly, the service users have been saying, when are we going back to whatever the, the centre was or what is what was their life, what was their community, what was their, their day community, no more than anyone of the rest of us with communities and with, you know, going back to some sense of normality. But they are reopening and they have been reopening in hubs and they have been reopening one and two days a week. But the issue here is that we just have to fight for the full day service to be reopened. There's also an issue around transport, and I raised that in the contribution of the doll on uh, Thursday evening last, and I think that we have to get to grips with it because, you know, in an earlier contribution, and that's going back seven, eight weeks ago now, when the the COVID committee met, and like you know, I had said that the, if they were the forgotten people within all this pandemic, and that's going back seven or eight weeks ago. And I really feel that there isn't an urgency brought to that to try and make sure that the everything is open. This 
we had following on from that um, he, uh, briefing with the HSE on Friday morning in Cork on the various services on COVID, predominantly on how COVID was. And I did raise this issue as well and raised the issue about the engagement of the HSE with the service users. You know, predominantly it's uh, St. Joseph Foundation in Charleville in my own area and COPE as well. And there are, you know, there are fundamental issues in relation to it, in relation to funding for it. There was... Uh, well, just if I can stop you, on funding, this was... The, all of these services were underfunded even bef- before COVID ever came on the scene. Absolutely. And any of the contributions that I made in the previous dial up to this time last year and going back, I was constantly looking for more funding for respite. You know, we were given, there was supposed to be a 10 million for respite. It didn't show that the respite wasn't coming through, the underfunding. But what the cra- to actually crown it all was that there was then brought in by the agency a 1% efficiency cut on the funding for disabilities. Now, I would challenge any single person to find out to me where is this efficiency supposed to be found? Where are the efficiencies? They have been, you know, I suppose they have been paired back to the last over the years. And there was this, now, thankfully, uh, because the minister, the new minister for the disabilities, Anne Rabbit, visited St. Joseph and Charleville uh, in July and was meeting the HSC afterwards. And that 1% efficiency cut has been reversed. And like, it's a small amount of money, but it is money nonetheless. And it has been underfunded. It's, it's not a lot to celebrate, Michael. It, 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 100%, 100%, Patricia, I, I, I'm only just saying that there's, you know, I suppose what I am really saying is I, it beggars belief that they could actually impose a 1% efficiency cut in the first instance. And I said it uh, exasperatingly, I said it in the door on, on Thursday. But where we are now is, you know, on transport, on the full day services, and to make sure that the service users and their families have the best possible service as we go into the winter of 2020 and to beyond because we will be looking at, you know, how we're going to live with the, with COVID for the next uh, six to nine months. Well, we we're expecting to... that report um, tomorrow, are we not? But yeah. just home in on the transport uh, for a moment, and uh, Michael, just to explain uh, to people who don't have uh, a child with intellectual disabilities, transport is proving to be a big issue, isn't it? It's proven to be a huge issue. And, you know, for people that were heretofore collected in the morning uh, in the bus, and that bus service was also part of the community. The people with intellectual disabilities had got uh, used to the bus and had, you know, it was part of their day and there was an interaction in the bus and that there was, you know, there was an escort on the bus and there was a provision, a provision on the bus. But here we are now, they're talking about, you know, the day services reopening but only having the transport in the morning if at all and then not having it in the evening but the transport is fundamental to make sure that the service user has the the best possible lifestyle that they're coming or going in the bus that they have organized some people love the bus love the you know the trip on the bus love the the on the bus is part of their life and it but you know some of the people were on to me after my contribution the dawn thursday they contacted me on thursday afternoon so within the within the uh, the hse and the department looking at how we are going to tackle this um the, this transport issue but i think what we have to do you know we've seen an awful lot in relation to people with disabilities and you know un convention on human rights and all of that stuff this is at the fundamental of it 
This is at the basis of it. People with intellectual disabilities, with physical disabilities, have to be integrated into society more and more. And the more they're integrated and the better the services are, the better for society as a whole because it takes an enormous amount of challenges in terms of families, in terms of school communities and everything else. And I know that there's goodwill there, but the goodwill is no good unless the proper services are provided the proper services from, like Dr. O'Donnell, who formed St. Joseph and Charleston, would often say from the cradle to the grave, the best possible services. And that has to be striven from. On the transport, I believe that nothing less than full transport is um, is the solution to this. Anything else is not acceptable. And I think funding on that, whether it is, you know, some people have contacted me over the weekend, some of the officials have contacted me over the weekend, looking at the rural link to see can they be brought into this loop in trying to provide the best possible funding for us. Is there alternative ways? But fundamentally, the transport has to be provided. Yeah, because and, and many of the service users live many, many miles away from where their day placement uh, is. And it can actually, you know, a service might reopen for somebody, but if they can't get to and from the centre, then it's, it's of no use to them. And the other problem is that many of the service users, Michael, live at home with elderly pa- parents. I mean, this, it's, it's a ticking time bomb for the HSE. It is, and you took the words out of my mouth. Like a lot of people, you know, whilst in 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 different age brackets, they're you know providing the service and doing the transport and doing everything else. And then with advancing age, obviously they get concerned about what is going to happen. You know, like many parents would have had discussions with me uh, privately and said, like, what's going to happen when I pass on? And they genuinely have that fear at the back of their mind. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think that we as a state, somebody put up, and after the contribution I shared on Facebook, somebody put up, you know, how we treat the vulnerable is how we define a state. And I think that that has, you know, we have to look at, you know, elderly parents are providing the best for their adult uh, child with intellectual disabilities. They are and have done so and have to be applauded for what they have done right through the years. But they come at a stage in their life and they're saying, what now? What is next? And they bear that burden of concern and of thought so, so sincerely. And I mean, they. I've met many of them and I've spoke to many of them and it really irks with me that we aren't doing more to make sure that, you know, that there is a thought process, that there is a place or, or, or to think that out and to talk it through and to make sure. And I think that, you know, there's a whole debate going on in terms of the Section 38s and 39 organisations and streamlining them into the HSE. But when they are separate entities, they have a better ethos. They have a better human ethos. You can't have everything, you know, as a state, sometimes an organization or, a, you know, for the want of a better term, and this is no reflection on people working within the HSC United, but real people within the boards of these voluntary organizations understand, you know, and feel for the families out there and the people that have intellectual disabilities or physical disabilities and will go the extra mile to try and make sure that the services that are provided, that are being provided for, 
are better and are challenged at all times. Okay, a listener says, could you ask Michael if the funding for services was there previously, where is that funding now that the service has been shut down for six months? If it's still there, uh, if the HSE are making these problems, they should work with the service providers to put it right immediately. A lot of people are questioning that. Service was gone for, for six months. Where did the funding go and why now with the reopening is it so limited? Absolutely, and you know that I, I did challenge them in the HSC meeting on Friday, and like you know, there was a bit of a kickback in relation to I said, like you know, some of the health board areas or the old the health areas, you know, some of them work very well with the with the uh, with the uh, service providers, and others didn't have a challenge. And I challenged them. I said, "Let's we're going to have to do more. You have to be more open in relation to it." And where is the funding issues? Where is, can we, you know, have a complete transparent account of where the funding, you know, the services have not been there for the last six months? And why is it now proving very difficult to reopen the services, the five-day services? And we know they live with COVID and all of society is living with it. And the people that need these services, the service users, will have to live with it as well. But at least bring them into the services and provide the best possible service that's available at this point. Yeah, somebody else is saying my, my son's service is uh, resuming. He's been offered uh, two days a week, week, but it isn't even a full day and I'm expected to bring him and collect him. Yeah, and that's, you know, that goes back to the point in relation to transport. I think transport, and I outlined it very clearly on Thursday, you know, transport has a full transport has to be uh, provided for and that family I don't know who they are but that family they, you know they and in some cases what people are telling me because their family member is out of the services and you know had been into the, integrated into the services that they have regressed a little into themselves and that is heartbreaking to see and we have to challenge and I will whatever I can do I will challenge it con- Continuously, I've been an advocate of these from the very moment I became a public representative. Uh, it's very fast, and you know, a lot of funding and a lot of stuff. But I still think we have to do more. But we are now in a time of very fundamental crisis, and we have to challenge it to make sure that the full daycare services are back and transport is provided. And any of the support mechanisms, indeed, for, you know, there was an announcement there on on Thursday or Friday in relation to assessment of needs for younger kids. That's not near enough what's needed. I mean, people are, you know, they're going privately, they're, you know, they're pooling resources to try and fund different therapies and so forth. That's not acceptable in in an island of 2020. It simply is not. And going by the HSE guidelines and the two metre social distancing that all the service users, all the service providers have to uh, adhere to. I mean, if you were you were to stick religious, re- religiously to all those guidelines, and I understand why they're there, I understand it's to keep everybody safe, but we'll never be offered a full service until a vaccine is available, going by that. Well, you know, I don't think, like, going by those guidelines, right, you know, there's been tremendous work done, and I have to say hats off to everybody who has contributed to the reopening of the schools, and thankfully, you know, we're a couple of weeks in, thankfully things seem to be going well in Touchwood, they keep going well. And I think the same urgency has to be for these services as well. And there are challenges there, there is no question or doubt about it, COVID, and what the services were, the first week in March will probably not come for a long time again, no more than any other sector of society. 
but at least there has to be a roadmap to make sure that the five-day services are reopened and there is transport provided. Okay, and finally, have you confidence in the current Minister for Disability, Anne Rabbit? Do you feel she's an understanding of the crisis? Well, she certainly, the day she was in travel, you know, it was her first, um, and if I, it was her first um, uh, service providers that she visited. And, you know, it, it, those are where... where in her department or somehow we're saying oh no no she shouldn't visit you know that she should be but I think she has a grasp of them and I spoke at length over the weekend again to her I, I will be pushing her as hard as I can to make sure that she is willing because a lot of you know I mean she understands it she understands the challenges that are there but I will be pushing it to the limit to try and make sure that these services are reopened okay. in whatever I can do that is open to me as a public representative in this area. Okay, we'll keep in contact with you, Michael, once again. Thank you, and thank you for that. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil, Cork, North West, Dáil Deputy, Michael Moynihan. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Comments coming into the programme. We were talking about uh, people with disability and in particular adults with disability and their families who feel like they've been so left behind, particularly as the country starts to reopen. Chris Kipper O'Donovan, good to hear from you uh, this morning in Formoy. Uh, Chris says, sadly, we can't provide a service on our wheelie boat for people with uh, disability. We have lost all of our clients from adult services within the disability sector. This is down to water levels above the weir in Formoy. I spent some time looking at the EU Convention on Human Rights and Sadly, the Irish government is not fully signed up to that convention. Therefore, they cannot be forced to do anything. If they had signed up fully to the convention, the weir in Formoy could be done as the situation could be proven to be preventing inclusion for people with disabilities, a clear violation of the treaty. So we need the government to wake up and start hiding behind a half-made job. And as I say, is from uh, Chris Kipper O'Donovan in Formoy. Thank you for that, uh, Chris. And then on COVID, uh, here is one, is there a name on? this there is morning Patricia just wondering if we need to hear from Covid survivors more often and the effects that it has on them very often long term effects it'll be interesting to know how many people are still suffering four to eight weeks or longer after acquiring Covid-19 along with how many will be left with long term effects of the disease also Patricia am I the only person regularly horrified at the use or abuse of face masks I regularly see vulnerable people handling them and pulling them up and down without sanitising their hands I can up a wonder, are they actually putting themselves at a far greater danger not just of COVID but of winter flus, coughs, colds etc and therefore the wider community. We've lots of really good instruction and advertising on hand washing but very little on face coverings. I also believe that people have far less social distancing since face covering became mandatory uh, indoors Uh, and you're right, there are so many people either not wearing the mask properly. I'm trying to think of was in a a store at the weekend and they actually said you know face coverings are mandatory and that the face coverings must cover your nose and your mouth too often you'll see people they'll have the face covering on the mask on but just covering their mouth and not their nose you need to have your nose and your mouth covered 
And yeah, you're not meant to be pulling them up and down. How many people do you see walking around when they come out of a shop and it's under their chin and then they put it back up when they go in side in the shop and then people are fiddling with it and it is hard to get a mask that fits comfortably and that you're able to breathe through and the, and therefore if you've got a mask that is restricting your breathing people are pulling at them all the time and is there not a, maybe the government maybe that's something that NEFA needs to do needs to give put more advertising and start getting on start telling people how important it is if you are wearing your mask how important it is that you wear the mask correctly and it was one of the arguments at the start before they made masks mandatory in enclosed areas was that very reason that they were fearful that people would not be using the masks correctly and by not using the masks correctly they could be a danger of picking up COVID or as that listener has said picking up all other kinds of viruses and then Mick in Mallow wants to challenge the whole issue of the wearing of masks. Mick says two weeks before the government made masks mandatory uh, on primetime they reported that catching COVID-19 in supermarkets was a very low risk and that was without wearing masks. This was backed up by medical evidence. So why are people made to wear masks? The numbers have been rising but it's not from supermarkets. The government has to be seen to be doing something so they pluck ideas out of the air like wearing masks. Next they will try to make wearing masks impossible public mandatory. Then if there's a vaccine, they will try to force everyone to take the vaccine. Our lovely little country is becoming a dictatorship for Mick in Amalo. I have to say, Mick, I don't agree. That's your opinion, but I certainly don't agree with all of your points. Okay, on why are we wearing masks in supermarkets? The medical evidence is there about enclosed spaces. So it isn't just supermarkets. It's all enclosed indoor spaces where you can't be guaranteed that you're going to stay two metres away from people. And they don't pluck the ideas from the air. I mean, the government are reliant on NEFET. Now, NEFET themselves are getting frustrated saying they are telling the government to do various things and the government don't always agree with it. And NEFET, uh, obviously, they're getting their advice from people like the World Health Organisation. They're looking to other countries to see what has worked. I mean, just just alone on the wearing of masks, I don't know if you were tuned at the start of the programme, Mick, when I was talking about Taiwan and I had looked up stuff on Taiwan over the weekend because Taiwan are like the poster boys of the, how best to handle COVID with their 23 million population. Only 500 have picked up COVID-19 and they've only had seven deaths. But one of the things in Taiwan, they always wore, wear masks when they're out, particularly anyone who feels they've got any kind of uh, any kind of a head cold, anything respiratory that they might be able to pass on to other people and they do it to protect others. So I think the wearing of masks and the science behind the wearing of masks has been there for quite some time. Will we end up wearing masks out in public that has been introduced in other countries and it has been effective. So I suppose it will only be introduced if NEFID feel we need it, if the numbers are continuing uh, to rise and then the government will, will, will do it, you know, based on what they're hearing from uh, NEFID. But I disagree that they're just making up the rules as, as they are going along. And as for a vaccine, making a vaccine mandatory, we don't live in that type of a country. They'll never make a, a vaccine mandatory. You would like to think that all of us will just step forward for a vaccine. I can tell you now, Mick, I will be first in the queue. I'm not to say that I will get it first in the queue because obviously those the most vulnerable will be the ones who will need it the most. But um, but no, we don't live in a country where they'll ever make uh, vaccines mandatory. Now, there are other countries 
that certainly for the vaccination of children I know for a country say for example like Australia you can't send your children into kindergarten or into school unless you can prove that you have all your vaccinations up to date we don't do this in this country we can advise parents on the importance of vaccination but we certainly don't force them uh, to take it but thank you for your comments as I say don't agree with them but then that's what the show is about and we don't have to always agree with each other 1850 333 103 and then on the locking oh and just on the this actually came, I saw this during the news um, Just I, I just picked this up on, on Twitter while during the news at 11 and this is just this is just showing, particularly to Mick when you're talking about masks and how important it is to wear masks and how when some people are not wearing masks we, we've got the spread of the virus is still happening even with people wearing masks. Looking at the number of hospital cases, it's been confirmed there are now 57 people with confirmed COVID-19 in Irish hospitals, 10 confirmed and 8 suspect cases are in ICU. But if we just look back to this day two weeks ago those figures were almost halved. We had 33 cases in hospital with five people in ICU. That I worry about. I'm constantly trying to keep an eye on the figures in in the hospitals because that's where the real worry will come with this country if our hospitals fill up with people with COVID-19 and if people end up with ICU we will end up then and we certainly don't want that to happen. With you remember the scenes that we saw from from Italy and that we've seen from America when the hospitals get absolutely swamped. So they, they are the worrying ones and obviously the bulk of our cases at the moment are coming from the Dublin area. Staying with Dublin, Tim says there is no one single Dublin except for the GAA. We've got Dublin City Council, we've got Fingal County Council and we've got South Dublin County Council. Which which has the most industrial estates to which people of commuter belts travel and may be exposed to the virus, says uh, Tim which I'm assuming will make it very difficult if they do go down the route of locking down Dublin. But if they lock it, if they lock it down like what they did with the lockdown on Kildare, Offaly and uh, Meath or Leash, they'll do it only for essential travel. So workers will still be able to travel in and out of Dublin. But Tim, you were right. Other people then get exposed to the virus and can, can bring the virus back home with them. So yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. And then can I mention Brexit? <laughs> Brexit hasn't gone away. Really good messaging from Michael in Castletown Bear who really has his eye and his pulse on uh, Brexit. Thank you for this, uh, Michael. Says, Patricia, you could just not write the script for the goings on in the Houses of Commons. Boris Johnson and the government negotiated a deal with the EU and in turn sold it to the House of Commons as the best thing since sliced bread and got it passed into law. It then went to the House of Lords, which it passed with flying collars and it went to the Queen who duly signed it into law. Boris then took to the country in the form of a general election with his masterly deal which won him an overall majority. Now he's telling us, ah, it's all wrong. It was a bad deal. And he has no problem breaking international law. Therefore, he's lied to the EU. He's lied to the House of Commons. He's lied to the British people. He also knew back in January about how serious COVID-19 was and the consequences of it all, as did his good friend, Mr Donald Trump. They both lied about it and kept the seriousness of it all well under the radar, causing millions of people to die. Remember the headline that was ignored? Boris lied and people died. Now we know that both Boris and Donald Trump lied and people died. Where is all 
this going to finish up. I sincerely hope that the British and American people see the light before it's too late. Thanking you and we'll all suffer the consequences, Michael, if it all goes wrong with uh, Brexit for sure. 1850-333-103. Lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. The Hibernian Hotel in Mallow, they're looking to recruit reservation slash reception assistant experience is essential. Fitzgerald Construction, they're looking for the following for sites in the North Cork area. Ground worker with a minimum of three years experience. They're also looking for skilled labour with experience in tiling, painting and skim plaster. PE Global, they're based in West Cork. They're currently recruiting general operatives for the Bandon area. Now, it's primarily for night shift, but for some morning and afternoon shifts will also be available. And a cook slash kitchen manager wanted for Meals on Wheels in uh, Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, Dave Deneen from West Cork joins me this, this morning to share an extraordinary story about a trophy he purchased from a charity shop in Kalekill. Uh, good morning to you, Dave. Morning, Patricia. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Now, what attracted you to buy this trophy? Well, it was flash anxiety. <laughs> Flash, what have I bought? And, oh, look at that. Well, what happened was I was out in Kekil on a Saturday morning and I was in there, as I want to do, I just went home and I stayed there more or less talking to the people behind the counters and chatting about the weather and what's going on and what have you. And after about 20 minutes, I half an hour, I realised, jeez, I'm not after buying anything. So I just pointed over. I said, I better buy something. I just pointed over and I said, how much is that there? And I was looking at it and I was trying to see what it was. And the girl behind the counter started there and she was, it's not real at all. And stuck it out, and I said, Geez, there's an old inscription on this. And she, whatever it was, and it was a small change, and I took it away. And I, I was looking at it a week later, and I said, The inscription, and I looked at the inscription, and the inscription read, Presented to Michael Jennings by members of the Grey's End Swimming Club in recognition of his English Cannon Swim, August the 1st, 1960. And I think, Wow, it's on a South Dakota Mac years, and of course, it's six. The Algiers, you know, and I was going, Jesus, I wonder if he's still around. And so I looked it up on the internet and I was looking around and I could see something from 2010. And of course, the little monster in my head said, Well, he's departed anyway. So I was adding up the years and I could see it going back. And I looked at the life and the life was brilliant. And I was saying, Jesus, he's in the SAS and he's this and he's that. And he's done the channel swim. And I said, Jesus, brilliant. But well, Mac, about a week ago, no, I'd sent emails. I'd sent emails to local police and there was an address on it and I didn't want to send a postcard or anything in case, it, you, know, you know, family circumstances and if it was 10 years ago. I had a whole picture of a story built up in my head and I had I had it built up so much that I had become used to the trophy because it was a year ago. And every time that I'd come in, I'd put the keys up in it and I'd look at it and, you know, and I was in, that's an awful pity. And I'd go in and I'd do whatever, you know. But going back about nearly a week ago, no, coming up to a week ago, no, I had a friend in the UK and I tried to access some sites. Like every once in a while I went looking and I couldn't get through one or two sites because you needed an English postcode. And of course, you'd have the Irish IP as well and they'd block, you know. So I asked a friend of mine in the UK, uh, Catherine Andrews, and I said, Catherine, look, I'm having a particular problem here. And I told her the story and I sent her things and she goes, leave it with me. So about a week ago, um, I got a phone call and it was a strange number and I went, I'm not answering this. 
because you know you're talking over things. So, in case it's a scam. Yeah, yeah, they sent me because I was having particular trouble, but then I was going, hang on, and I hadn't got the glasses on, and I could see a long number, you know. And so I got a text message, will you answer the phone? And Catherine, will you just answer? So, of course, never one to the higher cover of women, I answered. And as I heard on the voice at the other side, and the voice was, hi, you've been looking for me. This is Michael Jennings. And stay there, because Michael Jennings is on the other line. Good morning, Michael. Hello, is that you, Patricia? Uh, Yes, it is. A very good morning to you. You are the Semsaid Michael Jennings, who was awarded this trophy in August of 1960. Were you surprised to hear that your trophy ended up in a charity shop in Kalekill in West Cork? Patricia, I don't think surprised is the word. I think it's more like amazed. I hadn't seen that trophy for 50 years. Um, It was presented to me in 1960 and uh, I got divorced in 1970 and that was the last time I've seen it. Uh, My wife walked off uh, with everything but the cat. I took the cat. So you left the trophy in the house and... Yes, I did, by mistake actually. Okay, so... I never saw it after that. So... I don't know, I haven't seen her and I haven't seen the trophy for... um, for fifty, for fifty odd years, and Dave, you're you're planning on returning the trophy to Michael, are you? Absolutely, but all the shadow of it, I don't know. There's a bit of a delay. I actually have it in my hand, ready in the post box to go because I couldn't remember and I couldn't see from the photograph the the, the inscription on the trophy to tell you this morning. But I brought out the key on Saturday, and I wanted them to know because it's a fantastic story in these times with coronavirus and with so much negativity going on. And just the idea, to, like Michael said, I'm amazed. I'm sitting there and I'm going, where in the name of God, 50 years? And then the little voice is going, why me? But then I'm going, gee, this is a fan. And I can't wait to get it back to him. I can't wait because my And Dave, Dave, the people in the charity shop, do they know who handed in Michael's trophy? Well, if you were out there on Saturday morning, Patricia, and your job was a jaw catcher, you'd, you'd be out of a job because there was about five jaws hit the ground at the same time because they were amazed at this and because it came out of a blue of bolt out and over on Saturday morning. Now you're arriving up to the door with a trophy and saying, listen, I just have a story to tell you. And they were looking at each other in amazement. They were trying to figure back and go back. And the lady said, it's around about a year that I have it. And they were trying to figure out, and they just couldn't fathom. They just couldn't fathom just how it got out there, you know? Now, what so what, chari- what charity shop in Kalekill is it? It's the community project. No, Kalekill, as you know, is, 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 as they say, years ago, one house sounds very small, but it was a great community spirit out there. And they have a community project uh, charity shop out there, and it's the Kalekill community projects. Uh, I know uh, it well. I know it well. So so we're putting the call out if anybody remembers handing in a trophy to the community project in Kalekill over a year ago now is, is yeah, well. It, yeah, because I, Michael, I assume you'd love to know how it ended up in West Cork. Well, it's a mystery and if Dave or anybody in your neck of the woods can throw any light on it, that would be great and perhaps it would enable me to uh, pick up the threads to see just how on earth it got there. You have no family connections in West Cork, Michael? No, none whatsoever. I've been down there playing golf, that's about all. Have you? <laughs> and tell me about this particular trophy. I believe you you were the, only the 10th person to swim the English Channel in both directions. That's right, yeah. 
People swim the channel one way and that's an incredible achievement. But to do it both ways. Yeah, well that was I did have a six years rest in between. <laughs> yeah. But and today channel swimming has gone mad. I'll give you some just a quick statistic. In the sixties, the whole ten years of the sixties, sixty nine people swam the English channel. Okay. Last year alone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It was over 200. That's incredible, Uh, isn't it? The swim was in 1965. Now it's up to about 50 two-way swims. Some people have done it three ways, non-stop. And one girl last summer did it four ways, non-stop. And what what is it about that swim, though, that makes it such a difficult swim? uh, Weather, for one. You can't beat the weather. It's the most unreliable area for uh, for wind. Um, Secondly, the tides. The tides are very, very strong. And you need excellent um, navigation and piloting to get across to make the best of it. And the other thing is, and probably the most important thing, is the temperature of the water. When I did it in 1960, the temperature was 58, 59 degrees. The 
the temperature at the moment in the English Channel is 65. No wonder 200 got across last year. Mm, mm. It was just five of us got across. Are you, are you aware of our own Steve Redmond, who lives here oh, in yes, West Cork? Yeah. Huh. Do there's, you... a lot of, there's a big um, uh, long-distance swimming um, going on in Southern Ireland. Isn't it? I know friends of mine who are still involved go down there and um, swim in that locality. And how did you end up doing distance swimming, endurance swimming as it's called? Well, I think I realised when I was about 12 or 13 and I was, I was never going to make it as a sprint swimmer. Um, and I entered a, a one-mile race when I was about 15 and I won it, beating a lot of people who were older than me. And I thought, well, this is my cup of tea, distance swimming. And it just went on from there. Um, 1960, no, 1959, um, I won the Kent County Long Distance Championship over five miles, and that set my mind working that I should um, have a go at the channel, which I did, and I did it the next year. And have you swum all over the world? Oh, yeah. Yes, I have. Um, I picked up long distance swimming again in my 70s and um, got back in the swim, thought I'd uh, do some training, and took part in uh, various events. I was invited as guest of honour to the San Francisco swim, Alcatraz to San Francisco. Likewise, uh, the Sydney Harbour swim, um, I took part in on Australia Day. On that day, I swam, would you believe, with the Prime Minister of Australia. He made a point of tapping me on the shoulder on the starting line and saying, would you mind if I swam with you? And I said, well, let's be honest, only if you can keep up. <laughs> That's the last I saw of it. <laughs> and you've all, I read over the weekend, you've always been involved in swimming. And I know your dad was a swimmer. And is it true you were born in a bath? I was born in a bath, yeah. Mum entered a nursing home and she was told, uh, um, you've got to have a bath. And she said, I had a bath before I left home. And this uh, matron, Fan Steibel, a German, strong German character woman, she said, uh, Every ch- everybody who comes in here, child, has a bath. And she put a bell down on the side of the bath on the table and said, any problems, ring that. Well, within minutes, my mother was ringing the bell and there I was, born in the bath. <laughs> and that was way before water births, which are all the, the modern trend now. <laughs> well, um, they were then, but only, as I understand it, in the South Sea Islands in the Pacific. Oh, so. <laughs> water birthing, yeah. You're, you're, you're an incredible man. Are you still swimming today? Um, sadly, in my late 70s, I picked up asthma. And that stopped my gallop a bit, so to speak. I also had to have a replacement shoulder operation. And I also had to have a replacement knee operation. So I'm afraid competitive uh, swimming, I've drawn the line under that now. But would, you, would you still go in for an odd dip? Oh, yeah, just about. That's yeah. about all. And of course, you... swimming pleasure. Which, do you know what, is really, really lovely when you don't have to train. When you can go to the pool, you can go to the sea or in the lake and you don't have to train. It's a relief. 
You just you just do it for pleasure. And you were also the youngest ever Royal Marine Commando. That's right, I was. Uh, that was in 1957. Um, I spent three years in the Royal Marine. I was um, a radio operator, and I went to Germany, and I was attached to an SBS unit. Um, I wasn't in the SBS, but SBS units always needed radio operators. Mm. I was out there having the time of my life for um, a good two years. And um, I also was a veteran of 400 scuba dives. I took up scuba diving in my 50s and uh, got my comeuppance in the Bahamas in as much as I finished up spending eight days in a recompression chamber. With, that the, wasn't very... with the bends. With the bends, yeah. Yeah, well. Wow. I was also Kent water polo captain. I was the boy who bowled Sir Donald Bradman twice, the top American um, Australian cricketer, and, wait for it, the man who nearly killed Sir Bobby Charlton. How um, did you nearly kill I... Sir Bobby Charlton? Yeah. How did, you, how did that happen? I was on a golf course, and uh, I took my tee shot, and he was on a, an adjacent green. My tee shot went like a rocket in about 45 degrees the wrong direction and uh, if all the world was going to hit him in the head and just at that moment as in the day of the jackal when the jackal shot the um, uh, General de Gaulle or tried to he ducked his head down and my golf ball whisked right over the top of his head thank god and, um, <laughs> what's the name of the Irish comedian Roy somebody Roy, Irish comedian. No, it doesn't come to mind. No. Anyway. Well, he said to me, um, not Frank Carson, he's the one I know well, Roy somebody. He said to me, fame, infamy, the man who killed Bobby Charlton. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're glad you didn't. We're glad you didn't. And before people start saying uh, this man should write a book, you did write a book. I did. I wrote it in 2009. Um, it's called Believe It or Not. And I wrote it to celebrate the 50th anniversary of my first swim, 1960. Um, I promoted it for a local hospice, the Allen Alliance Hospices, and I made them over £24,000. Well done, well done. And now we've come a full circle because the trophy that attached to that swim is going to be back with you soon. And Dave, you've got you've got Michael's address, I take oh, it, and all, all that. Yeah, I have all the details, and within 20 minutes, after listening to that story about SAS and killing people, it will be there in 20 minutes at the post <laughs> office. I'm not taking no chances. <laughs> I, was, I, was just think, I was just thinking when he was saying it about the swimming and his accomplishments, I was going, Jesus, <laughs> the, only, the only champion I am of is, is of my bat. It's amazing. Just amazing. You know, he's just done some amazing things. So I'm delighted that I found it and I'm delighted that I'm having the pleasure on behalf of Peter on behalf of the people I have, just to send it to him and just to say that it's just one of these True good, feel good stories, no? Well done. And you've you've, you've, been to do it. you've you've played your part in it and I know we have a picture of it and we're going to put it up on Facebook and all right. of that because lots of people say can we can we get a picture of the trophy? We will uh, we're going yeah. to organise that as well. And if anybody and if anybody again I've left my details with uh, John Paul that if anybody has any my phone numbers with us and WhatsApp and what have you and people can contact me. Yeah, I because would say just as a proviso 
Det var det morning ring så probably keep him on for about two hours <laughs> so they're off in the meantime. <laughs> and because we are desperately trying to find out how yep, Michael's trophy ended up in a charity shop in Kelkill. It would have been donated over a year ago. Dave, thank you for sharing the story with thank us. And Michael sure. Jennings, it has been a real pleasure talking to you and uh, we can't wait for you to get the trophy back. Just one further thing, Patricia. Go on, Michael. In recognition of me uh, raising £24,000 for the Ella Lyons Hospice, they nominated me as an Olympic torchbearer. And I ran right through the middle of my hometown, Gravesend. Oh, my A goodness. really great day. Oh, we probably saw you on the TV then, because we were seeing various clips of that at the Olympics. Um, yeah. Probably it's did. Fun. All right, listen, Michael, thanks a million for taking time out to sure. talk to us. Take care. Well, Take care. Yeah. And that trophy will be winging its way to a Graves uh, End, uh, a trophy from uh, 1960. Isn't that incredible? Well done to Dave, who went to amazing lengths to work out who Michael was and to make sure that he got the trophy back to him. 1850. It's amazing what you find in, inside in charity shops, isn't it? It's always worth nosing around in a charity shop. 1850 333 103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text on WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Cork GAA and Marymount Hospice are calling on the people of Cork to go red for Cork this Wednesday, September 16th, which is the 30th anniversary of Cork winning the double in 1990. The fundraising initiative is the brainchild of current Cork GAA hurler, Conor Cahalan, who joins me along with Paula McGovern, who is head of fundraising at Marymount Hospice. Good morning to you both and you're welcome to the programme. Program. Good morning, Patricia. Connor, if I can start with you, this is a, a very special anniversary, not just for Cork, but for your family, because your dad, uh, Neil, was on, Niall, was on the winning football team. Was it an achievement that was often spoken about in your household when you were growing up? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I suppose um, for the hurlers and footballers, it's probably a very unique kind of achievement. So it was always kind of mentioned growing up when there was kind of 10. 12, 15 years anniversary is coming up and things like that. So um, it was spoken about a lot, but as, as we got older, we kind of came to realise what a great achievement it was in itself. Um, so like it's very unique to, to the people of Cork and even the people who were involved back then. So it's, it's, it's great to commemorate it. Yeah, and it's only right and pro- proper, isn't it, to remember those, t- those two teams 30 years on? It is, it is, because, uh, like I suppose, there's, at the moment, there's, there's no dual players around the country as such so even for the likes of Teddy Macnow and Dennis Walsh who would have been on both panels it's particularly special for them So why did you decide on a fundraiser for Marymount? Well you see in the current circumstances I suppose they couldn't hold a formal kind of function to, to commemorate us so we decided that the best way to go with it was to, to, to run a, a fundraiser and um, we thought of Marymount straight away just for the fact that it's so close to the the hearts of people of Cork and like, unfortunately it has touched probably most families in Cork at some stage um, but the, the work they do there is unbelievable so we said we'd go ahead with that yeah, it's a terrific, it's a terrific charity. And uh, yeah. as I mentioned, Paula McGovern is uh, head of fundraising at uh, Marymount Hospice. Um, Paula, what are you asking the people of Cork to do this Wednesday? Well, I suppose what we're asking people to do, Patricia, is to go red on the day. So we're trying to get people to either dress in red, wear your jersey, uh, light your building in red if that's possible, 
or just dress up your virtual workstation. Tag Go Red for, Go Red for Cork on your social media. And then donate, the most important thing. So th- there's an online campaign link, idonate.ie forward slash Go Red for Cork. Or you can Google it, uh, search for Go Red for Cork and you will find it. And you can also text Marymount uh, to 50300 to donate for your own. But what we're trying to do is create this a virtual uh, campaign on Wednesday where people will be sharing their photos mm. off their red uh, setup or, or what they're wearing and tagging other people and encouraging people to donate. Yeah, and I think, you know, while it's an incredibly uh, good fundraiser uh, for, for Marymount, which is so desperately needed, but I think, you know, as Connor said, it's only right and proper that we remember these two teams. Oh, for sure. I mean, what an achievement, winning a double. Like, it's, it's unfathomable at the moment. Yeah, yeah. to do that. And Absolutely. then, like as Connor said, the dual players, I mean, that's just a remarkable achievement. It's a remarkable athletic achievement that needs to be celebrated. Were it not for COVID and all the restrictions, I'm sure we'd have, be having a great big street party on the day, but obviously yeah. that's not at all. Uh, possible. And are you already getting good interest from the business community, particularly about this idea of lighting up for lighting up red on the day is 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 a, is a, a lovely suggestion. Yeah, well, I suppose we're contacting any building that can do it. So yeah. we've had great support. So Cork City Hall will be red, County Hall will be red, the Elysian, UCC, a good few hotels around the. The, the city, the bus station. There's a lot of buildings, and um, we're going to have them listed on our social media. Um, Court Chamber, and there's a few other places that we're going to be tagging on today, and we're asking people to share that out. Not every building will be able to go red. But those obviously. that can would be a those lovely thing can, to do. Yeah. And Connor, this would be a great one for schools because the schools are all back. Wouldn't it be great for the schools to get involved? Yeah. So basically, we're, we're trying to encourage every school around Cork as well, or even outside the county bounds, if they if they've I'm smiling when you say go outside the county bounds. We have a lot of listeners in Kerry and I can't see many of the Kerry people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah, can no, still... there might be a few. Yeah. But you listen... If you want the Kerry people, it'd be great. Yeah. Well, the Kerry people can always donate. Even if you don't want to go red for Cork, we will welcome your uh, donations. Exactly. And uh, Paula, how badly hit has your fundraising been? Well, I suppose we've had to cancel absolutely everything, Patricia. Uh, 2020 is actually Marymount's 150th year, which is another remarkable achievement for the for the for Cork. Um, and we had a huge year of events and a regular schedule of events with friends of Marymount as well planned. So obviously everything has been cancelled, every single event that we had in place. So it's a huge hit to us. As always, though, the people of Cork have been incredibly supportive of Marymount. We've had really nice online campaigns, and people have really come behind us, which is fantastic. Um, and so I suppose we, we hope that will continue with, with our Go Red for Cork campaign. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure it will. Of course, as soon as I mention Kerry, I'm after getting a text in saying, Hi Patricia, on the 30th anniversary of Cork's GAA, I'm, this is from John, I'm working in Tralee, I'll be wearing my Cork jersey with pride. Hashtag, Han the Rebels. <laughs> well, that's the thing, there's a lot of Cork people living outside Absolutely. Cork as well and we're trying to get 
them to kind of side up to it as well and yeah. wear their red with pride. Yeah, and just and and it, it is the sixteenth, isn't it, Connor? Is the actual date? Yeah, it's when this Wednesday, the sixteenth, is the date. The, the exact date the footballers won the All Ireland. So the hurlers had done it a couple of weeks previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Connor, a strange year for everybody within the what's well, strange year for everyone, but particularly within a GA circles. You're back training now, isn't it? Yeah, we're back. Well, we're back playing games at the club now. The last kind of seven, eight weeks, but um, back training now with the with the car curlers this coming week. So looking forward to get back training now. And it's tra- and you're, of course you're back with matches with nobody, nobody yeah, watching it. No one in attendance. It's kind of a shame, really. But or, you know, it, it, we just have to go with it, really. Hopefully, yeah. now they might up the attendance in the next few weeks. But well, there's hopes. To, there's hopes tomorrow there might be a bit of a little bit of movement on more people being allowed in to watch a match. Yeah, hopefully because I think people are around the county are only crying to get out the game. Yeah, and um, it'll do it'll do even people's mental health a lot of good just to get out and into the fresh air and out watching games and are you when you're back training and back playing is it all you know I mean obviously you can't social distance when you're on the pitch but the training side of it is that is it very different um, it is they're, they're still trying to kind of implement the odd kind of you know the odd social distance kind of drill and things like that but I suppose when you're out there you, you nearly kind of forget about it as such because when you're going to playing games you're going to be Bumping off people anyway, so mm. I suppose it's kind of it's gone out the window a bit at the moment. But they're still trying to keep best practices by keeping dressing rooms closed and things like this, and showers, showers closed, and people coming tagged out to training and things like that. So that's that's probably yeah. And it's all you know, touch wood, and thank God it's there's been very there's been a few cases, but not many since GAA yeah, has started so back, like, which is which which is great. Next few weeks will be massive for the GA, so hopefully, hopefully they'll they'll stay clear of it. Okay, and uh, Paula, for you, for you guys in Marymount, how's COVID affecting you? I mean, you've mentioned the fundraising, but the day to day is is it very different at Marymount? Oh, it's a very, very different space here. I mean, thankfully, you know, everything is is, is continuing as, uh, in, you know, our services still there and continuing as much as possible as normal. Um, but obviously, visiting is has been severely restricted to yeah. try and, you know, counter any uh, possible COVID-19 transmission and that's been from the start in March. So that's been really tough for Marymount because obviously our visiting is one of the key things for people that, you know, with families coming to Marymount. It's very much the whole family is supported. Um, so that's been tough. But there's been lots of measures put in place to counter this. So, um yeah, we, we're like everyone and every organisation. We're affected, and yeah. we're doing what we can and doing our best. Well, you're you're an incredible bunch, and long long may you continue. So go red for Cork. It's happening this Wednesday, and it's i donate forward slash go red uh, for Cork. Uh, we wish you the best of luck uh, with it, uh, Paula, and best wishes to everybody. Marymount Hospice and Connor, uh, thank you. It's a fantastic initiative, and uh, good luck with it on Wednesday. Thanks. Good morning to you both. Bye bye. Uh, Connor Cahalan of the Cork Hurling Team and Paula McGovern from Marymount Hospice. Please try to give them all the help you can and go red for Cork this Wednesday. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. We are looking for questions for Annalise Trussell, a nutritional therapist, because she'll join us in the final hour of the programme. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Mm-hmm. 
with Patricia Messenger on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're looking for your questions for Annalise Drussell, a nutritional therapist. She'll join us after half past 12 uh, today. Get your questions into us. But Mary has been on to us and is wondering, is anybody else had a, a problem or is suffering from macular degeneration? And if so, did you get injections for it and did they work? Now, I'm assuming from that question that Mary has been diagnosed or someone in Mary's household has been diagnosed with macular degeneration and it has been suggested that she goes forward for some type of injections and the very thought of macular degeneration obviously which is an eye disorder and having injections I, I, oh, they've very thought of it but obviously if it works you'd put up with it anyway anyone macular degeneration can anybody advise Mary did you have injections for it and did the injections at work uh, let us know please if you can offer advice to Mary 1850 and then Marie contacted us this morning and I don't know how much of an issue uh, are many other people in the same situation and is this proving to be a worrying issue for other people. Mary, uh, Marie, sorry, is a carer and the person that Marie is caring for has a hospital appointment. And the person with the hospital appointment has been told that she has to go for a COVID test before she can come into the hospital for the appointment. She needs to travel all the way to Gronabraher two days before her appointment for the COVID test. Marie says it's not fair. She'll have to travel all the way from Dunmanway in West Cork up to Gronabraher to have the COVID-19 test. She says not everyone can afford to travel all the way. And then two days later, she'll have to travel up again for the actual hospital appointment. Uh, GPs locally, not all GPs locally, she says, are facilitating tests. And actually, I don't know, are many GPs doing tests for COVID-19. I haven't, I didn't realise any GPs were doing it. Anyway, according to Marie, obviously some are, but not all are. But she just feels it's unfair to expect somebody to have to travel from West Cork or indeed other parts of the county into the city for the test, go home again and then come back two days later. And then the sting in the tail, says Marie, is they can't even guarantee that the test results will be back in two days. And she said it's putting people under immense uh, pressure. And if they can't guarantee that the test results will be back in two days, does that mean that the person's appointment gets cancelled? That you can't come to the, the hospital appointment unless you have the COVID test, test? And I know all hospitals are doing the same thing. If you've got to be admitted any kind of a procedure in a hospital, you have to have a COVID test first. And I can understand why hospitals are doing that. They're trying to keep COVID out of the hospitals. But I think in order to do that, they need to make it as easy for people as possible because I think Marie is right. Not everyone is in the situation. Maybe they don't drive themselves. Maybe they're unwell and they're not able to get to the hospital and then to have to go back to the hospital again two days later. The Obviously, the answer to it would be that you'd be able to have a COVID test done locally. And then that result is forwarded on to the hospital that you are attending. But do I assume that every hospital, that they're all doing their own COVID-19 testing? Is that the way it works? Anyway, I don't know if that's causing problems for other people or not. But Marie was on to us uh, this morning. 1850 if you've got a view on that. Mary says, I can't understand why Dublin hasn't been locked down yet. Cases have been higher all last week. And even though they were given last week, they were told, you know, it was the week that they needed to. They were kind of put under starters orders, but I didn't see any drop in the 
numbers across last week for sure. Anyway, Mary says it seems to be getting out of control. She said, I saw a photograph from Dublin. Crowds of people out on the street. She said it actually looked like they were all at a football match. If that was any other county, it would have been locked down by now. Mary is pondering how different would it be if Leo Varadkar was still in charge instead of Micheál Martin. She's pointing the finger of blame to Micheál uh, Martin and certainly Micheál Martin and the Fine Gael Fianna Fáil party must have been absolutely devastated with the opinion polls yesterday that had them at 10%. I don't know if Fianna Fáil have ever been as low as uh, 10% before. 1850 And then on mask wearing. number of people commenting to us, and this is kind of kicked off by Mick from Mallow, who contacted us earlier, who kind of in his text is against the whole idea of wearing masks and feeling we're living in a dictatorship and sure, why are they forcing us to wear masks in, in supermarkets when we when it was said many weeks ago before masks came in that you, there's a very low chance of picking up COVID inside in a supermarket. A number of people picking up on that comment in from Mick. Mary in Kinsale says, I wear a visor now instead of the face mask across your mouth. She said, it's heavenly and I don't feel smothered like I did when I was wearing the other type of face masks and then I've spotted a piece this is from the Telegraph in the United Kingdom but it's a piece on the wearing of face masks and it, face by wearing a face mask it might also be helping to reduce the severity of the virus and ensuring that the greater population who get the infection get it without symptoms. They were asymptomatic. It is a piece of commentary that has been published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it now at the moment it's unproven, but it's a promising theory that universal face mask wearing might be helping to reduce the severity of the virus and ensuring that the greater population who get the infection are asymptomatic. Now if it's proven if it is borne out the academics will argue that universal mask wearing could become a form of inoculation and it would actually generate immunity and thereby slow the spread of the virus. There's increasing evidence suggesting that the amount of virus someone is exposed to at the start of the infection may actually determine the severity of the illness and a large study published in the Lancet last month found that the viral load of diagnosis was an independent uh, predicator for mobility in hospital patients so wearing a mask would therefore reduce the infection dose that the wearer is exposed to and subsequently subsequently the impact of the disease as the mask will filter out some of the virus containing uh, droplets so that's a really good piece uh, when people are arguing about why they should and shouldn't wear masks there's a lot of medical studies been done about the wearing of masks and why it is important, particularly in enclosed areas that we wear masks. John in Bandham was listening to, to Mick's comments on the masks and he says Mick is wrong. Professor Luke O'Neill says to challenge people like Mick to provide the proof. Luke says it's all fake news. Wear your mask. Mick. That comes in from John in uh, Bandon. In, and then another listener says in Athen Rye, this is for mask goers, mask goers are asked to stay in seats until ushers signal them to leave after mass. It's to avoid a cluster of people at the door and it's been happening for the last two weeks and it is working really well. And that's interesting because it, that's one of 
the dangers around people going to Mass and having big numbers inside in a church. And remember last week we were talking about the First Holy Communion Masses and people were quite upset about the fact that grannies and granddads weren't allowed to go to First Holy Communion Masses and it's only parents are allowed to go and even siblings are not allowed to go. And one of the reasons for it was whatever about they might be able to socially distance them in the church. The fear is that everybody then congregates outside of the church, either on the way in or after leaving the ceremony. And I saw the Catholic Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Martin, he was warning parents of First Holy Communion that they mustn't make the occasion uh, of irresponsible behaviour and that it wouldn't go on to spread COVID-19. He was saying, look, this is a religious ceremony. Have your religious ceremony, but please return home. But return home as a family. And he's against the house parties that are breaking out. And he, he, he issued a statement warning that there was indications already that social distancing in some cases had been loose especially before and after church ceremonies. And he said public health authorities had actually contacted several bishops around the country to express concern about breaches of social distancing. I think the churches are doing remarkably well. I mean, to hear what they're doing in Athen Rye there with Stuart's actually letting people go out in small groups so that everybody, and that's at a normal uh, mass. But at the communion masses, there probably would be the full capacity that they can have in a church but if they leave everybody and I'm assuming that that's what's happening in some churches everybody's leaving at the same time and then they're all congregating outside and I know for others when family members are not allowed in to the church they're waiting outside so they can be there for the photographs afterwards and that's leading to breaches of social distancing so I know Dermot Martin was saying he was asking people to please be responsible have your communion whatever your first holy communion he was saying it's about christings and confirmations as well but he was calling on household gatherings please don't have the Holy Communion parties and please don't have the christening parties afterwards he said that we all have to be uh, responsible and just talking of communions can I give a big shout out to the first Holy Communion class in Colin National School in Mallow they received their communion last uh, Saturday and we hope each and every one of them had an absolutely beautiful day uh, Morning Patricia says this texture just wondering with all the carers in the country do the government even notice these carers and what they would be doing what they were doing since lockdown and look at what they have been doing much longer. All the centres are opening up again. Those carers got nothing extra in their payment. How wrong is all of that for all the carers do? Uh, some get a carer's allowance but remember not all do they do it because they because they're doing it for their loved ones and the amount of extra work that they had to do in during lockdown particularly for the ones that do get a carer's allowance but they didn't receive any extra funding and this listener is wondering are the government considering or even thinking of giving them uh, some extra funding by way of a thank you for all the work that carers have done and continue to do because I know some of the daycare centres are opening but even the ones that are opening very limited numbers are allowed in even the the adult services that we spoke about at the start of the programme today if people get two days a week and they're not even two full days I think people are doing well Hi Patricia just wondering what's going on with air at the moment my phone is out of order with at least six weeks I've tried to contact them but I can't get through to them we've sent three emails to them but still no answer 
answer. I'm living in the McCroom area, in the Clondrothal area of McCroom. And I'm just wondering, is anybody else having similar problems? By the way, I don't have the internet. So obviously somebody else sent on the emails uh, for this person. And I checked in with John Paul because John Paul had been, has dealt with air uh, quite a number of times. So he, he's not dealing anymore. He's not sending off uh, any more requests for people because he was literally, as he said to me, he was getting swamped. He was spending all afternoon just filling air in on various people who were having problems with their phone. And air are saying back to John Paul they can't understand why people are complaining about air. So John Paul says that while the phone lines get very busy for air you need to have patience you need to stay on the phone. Now this listener is saying that she's not managing to get through and she's obviously not getting through on her own phone because her own phone is out of order but you need to either get somebody else to get through to them on your behalf or if you've got a mobile number that you can you can use your mobile phone instead but you do need to have patience. We have heard more people on this programme talk about air whether and I don't know is it still the same but certainly last year I remember we did a number of interviews with people and AIR had to accept that they just didn't have enough people in their call centres but I thought that they started to get more but patience is what you need you need to stay on the line but we'll give it out there to see are other people having problems just even getting through I mean this listener is just trying to get through to AIR to say my phone is gone for the last six weeks but you can't make contact I'm really surprised to hear that you're sending emails and getting absolutely no reply and I guarantee you your bills are still arriving even though you seem to have no phone service for the last six weeks. Anybody else having problems with air? 1850-333-103 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie The Irish Cancer Society they're looking for volunteer drivers it's to help transport cancer patients to and from their hospital chemotherapy treatments. Volunteers are needed in Cork to help keep this vital service going. Now the role is weekdays only but you must be able to commit to a full day when driving. Anam Cara, the support group for bereaved parents will return to their group meeting with safety measures in place. That's happening tomorrow Tuesday 7.15 and the venue is the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandham. Kildare Community Development will hold their weekly lotto draw that's happening this Thursday 4 o'clock in the afternoon in Kildare Community Centre and this week's jackpot is €2,500. And Donnerail Push for Charity will launch their Heart Remembers during their Culture Evening on next Friday 6pm in the Church of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Donnerail. The Heart Remembers is an initiative to remember all those who have died from COVID-19. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now we had a call in from Mary who's been diagnosed with macular degeneration and it has been suggested that she goes forth for some kind of injections. It's some form of treatment but she's wondering does it work? Catherine in Ballylicky has been having those injections and she's contacted us. Good morning to you Catherine. Good morning. Now Catherine when, when were you diagnosed with macular degeneration? God, I can't remember. It's over a year ago now. It's a, yeah. Okay, and you went for these injections? Yeah, I did. They uh, tell her not to worry about them because, you you, you, you know I mean, they're dead in the eye. Okay, you know? yeah. And uh, they're not bad to have. But they have done no good for me. And how many injections have you had? Well, I was with Dr. Gerard O'Connor. I don't know if you ever heard of him. And he was hurt. He gave me three. And then I got three more. Yeah, ordered three more. That's six, right? 
Yeah. And then, well, Susan mourned, and then they ordered three more, and I'm on, I'll be getting the eighth one on the last Thursday this month, and I'll still have to get the ninth one, and it hasn't done any good. Okay, and explain how you're affected by macular degeneration, Catherine. Well, to me, if, if that lady has, has two eyes that she can see with, it's grand. But I was born with one eye blind. And the macular degeneration is in the, in the eye that I had the sight in. And, and uh, what level of sight do you have now? Oh, very little. No, I couldn't, I couldn't read a letter. I couldn't read a paper. I couldn't see the television. I couldn't write my name, anything like that. I can find my way around the house, you know, where, you know, in your own surroundings. And is there any other treatment for us? There is not. No, it's go. I thought there last week that there was a slight improvement, but no, it's gone. And the slight improvement was that I could see. I put my head right down on top of the paper and I wrote my name and I could see it. And I thought, oh, God, it's grand, but no, it's gone. Oh, my God, that's dreadful. And and what are they saying about these injections? Is it a case that you have to stay with them? Well, what they say is, what they told me was that they'd get my sight in the in the next three, which one I've got, and I'm going to the next one. Right? Yeah. And then I'll get a third one. But to me, you know, I think now it's gone a long ways that I won't get it. Yeah, somebody else said I had nine injections over time without any success. In the end, this texture says I, I opted out uh, as well. Uh, but it's dreadful that there isn't anything else. No, there's nothing else. No, no, no. And okay. how, how are you? Have you people at home with you? No, uh, I'm a widow. You're a widow. Living on your own? Well, my son calls me, yeah. Okay. And are you, are you able to manage on your own? I have carers come in to me. They're great. Okay. And I tell you, the people for the blind are very good. The National Council for the Blind? Yeah, the Council for the Blind yeah. are very good. Yeah, I mean, are you registered blind now? You would be at this stage, are you? With that little size? I don't know if I am. Yeah. Because in, in, I, uh, they gave me, first they gave me, you know, they were kind of um, magnifying glasses. Yeah. And I was able to read with them, but it's gone beyond that. No, I couldn't. No, they won't work. Yeah. I have um, a little thing they gave me put on the cup, you know, when I'm making my cup of tea. I know as well. It, bu- it, it buzzes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they gave me several little things like that, you know, that, that, that are very handy. That's the National Council for the Blind yeah. have done and that. They, They're great. Yeah. They gave me a watch. I paid them 60, I think it was 60 euro. Probably like that, you know, will tell me the time. And um, tell me the day. Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't see the clock. Yeah. You know. And, and you uh, were born blind in one eye? I was born, yeah. It's called a lazy eye. They can't do anything for that. And is the, the, but the macular degeneration isn't linked to... No, no. No, no, it's completely no, it's different. Not. You were just very unlucky having been I born blind in one eye to get macular degeneration in your only eye. I think myself that it happened. When it happened, I was getting up in the morning and going into the bathroom, Right. And when I'd look at the toilet or the washing basin, they were black, you know? Yeah. So they'd been white. And I'd had a bad stomach upset. And I said to myself, you know, that's for my stomach. And I think I let it go a bit too long. You should have gone quicker. And I went, I rang up my own doctor, who's Dr. Michael Kingston in Bentry, right? And he said straight away, you know, that he'd get me to a nice specialist, and he did. 
Yeah. You know, you've had enough into your stomach. So maybe if I had gone faster. Yeah, maybe, maybe mm. you don't know. You don't. You don't. You don't want beat, beat, beating yourself up. And is it's it's obviously really affecting your life in that it's taking your independence away from you, Catherine. Well, it has, especially with the COVID now, because um, the road outside, like I couldn't walk it. I mean, I'd walk away. I'd see away in front of me, right, and I have this. They give me a white stick and all that kind of thing, and I've dark glasses. But you see, if you had someone with you, you were all right. But you can't, you have to keep your distance now. Do you understand me? I do, I do, yeah. I do. So I, I don't do. do any shopping. My son does the shopping for me. Yeah. He walks and he comes and he, and he does the shopping and that kind of thing, you know. But you can't but, read anymore is the big one. Oh, no, they would give me books, the National Council. Yeah, the audio books, yeah. Audio books, but they did give them to me, but they were no good to me. I, I'm hooked on the on one Ah, well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Listen, you look after yourself, okay? And uh, but they do work but, for some people. Yeah, that, well, that's it. And I can see other people saying that they they got the injections. Yeah, so don't let that. I think I think with Mary, I got the sense from her message that she's afraid that the whole idea of having an injection in your eye. Oh no, no, no! You won't feel it at all. Will you not? Okay. No. All right. No. Okay. All right. Listen, you mind yourself, and thanks a million for sharing that with us. Thank you. Trisha, thanks. Right? Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. God, some people have it tough, don't they? That's Catherine in Ballylicky. I mean, to be blind in one eye and then to lose the sight, to be slowly losing the sight in another eye really is dreadful. Uh, Sheila says, I also suffer from macular degeneration. I have a problem with a cataract. Uh, my problem is I cannot get the cataract. I, I, I cannot get in to get the injection. They tell me I won't be able to get to see a specialist until 2022. 2022 I presume says Sheila it's to do with Covid I don't have private health insurance and when I rang the hospital they tell me I'm not on the list for the injections hopefully if I go to Belfast for the cataract operation it might help some bit at the moment it's like a net curtain in front of my eyes I've lost my driving licence because of it so I'm losing my independence Ah, yeah well that haziness certainly would tie in with the cataract that where you say it's like you're looking out through a net curtain so hopefully that will sort that and that it will help your sight to be a little bit clearer. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your call. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 And just very quickly, there's a lovely text in from Paul. I say, hi Patricia, would you please say a big thank you to our postman, Roy. He found my handbag outside my house this morning. He hid it and told my friend to let me know where the handbag was. He then came back and after his rounds to make sure that I'd found it. I'm very grateful to him. I tell you, our postmen and women are fantastic, aren't they? Uh, thanking you. And that's from Paula. I don't know Roy's surname or where Paula is living or anything, but well done, Roy, for spotting that Paula had lost her handbag. And I won't even ask Paula how you left your handbag outside your house this morning, but it is uh, terrific to hear that the postman found it and you got, got it back to you safe and sound. And on macular degeneration that we've just been talking about, Marie says, my husband takes a capsule every day called Manu Shield. They've helped him a lot and he doesn't wear glasses anymore. They're not prescription. They seem to be over the counter available. So maybe the people that have been contacting you today saying that the injections are not working, that maybe they would work, he swears, by them. So let's go to Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. Because I've, I've heard you talk about this capsule. Yeah, MacuShield, um, and it's been around for a very long time. It basically is just lutein, which is very important for the prevention of macular degeneration. So often you, have a head, you can have a head start on this 
um, disease because macular degeneration is where you get degeneration of cells at the back of your eye that affect your central vision. So what happens is that you lose seeing the bit in the middle and you can still see around the edges, but the bit in the middle starts going. And unfortunately, it is, it's, it's very difficult to... Um, Reverse. Uh, reverse it. It's, it's impossible. Once the damage is done, it's done. So prevention is the key, really. And taking lutein has, in numerous clinical studies, and any optician will tell their customers as well, that lutein is, has been shown to slow down by a huge amount the progression of macular degeneration. And you can get the macular shield or you can get other ones. That I know there's a lutein supplement that comes with omega-3 fats in there called lutein plus. That one is very nice as well because the omega-3 fats are great for any kind of glaucoma where pressure builds behind the eye. But any health shop will have a whole variety of different um, supplements with lutein in there specifically for the eyes. And if there's any history of macular degeneration in the family, start as young as you possibly can. And also wear a pair of sunglasses in the sunshine because the UV light also will speed up the damage. Yeah, because I I think poor Catherine, who we spoke with from Valley Licky, she was born blind in one eye and she's the macular degeneration in the other eye and she accepts herself. She left it too late to go and she's slowly losing her sight. But the fact that she has it in the eye, the the only eye that she has sight in means she's now registered blind. So yeah, so if you can get the, if you can get that supplement in beforehand. Okay, thank you. And any, any um, opticians will be able to check for it. Any good opticians will be able to check for it as part of a standard eye test. Okay, some of your questions in. Jur, hi Patricia, could you ask Annalise, if I'm taking a cholesterol tablet, can I take a bitter melon supplement as well as the cholesterol tablet? You can do. Now, bitter melon is generally used to help manage blood sugar balance. It's very, very good for, I would often recommend it as part of a plan for people who've got pre-diabetes or or have developed type 2 diabetes. So it is... um, Phone line's gone on us. Um, okay, I'll get John Paul. I'll get. Uh, we'll get rid of that, and we'll get a new line to Annalise because I can see a lot of uh, calls coming in. So we will wait for Annalise to come back. Somebody was wondering if COVID nineteen testing is still going on in Mallow Hospital. I was unaware that it's going on in Mallow Hospital. It used to be going on the race course in Mallow, but I don't know if it's uh, going on in Mallow Hospital. If anybody can confirm that, this is Annalise back with us. Hi, Annalise. Hi. Way to myself. <laughs> Hi, sorry. It just the phone line literally just went. It just yeah. literally went. Uh, went uh, dead in us. Okay, you're offering advice so, to we Jer. We're talking about the bitter melon. Yeah, now, yeah. Absolutely, you can take at the same time as the cholesterol with a cholesterol tablet, but not at the same time. So, cholesterol tablets are fairly um, strong on the liver, and which is why that if you're on a cholesterol tablet, you should be having regular liver checks when you have your bloods done to make sure there's no damage to the liver. So, I always advise people. And really, to be honest, this is the rule of thumb for most medications. Take them on their own. Don't take any herbs or natural supplements at the same time and allow them go through the liver uh, at their, on their own so that you get the maximum benefit from the medication and then take your supplements at another time or at least two hours away from a cholesterol tablet. So normally people would take a cholesterol tablet at night. Uh, so I'd suggest taking the bitter melon in the, in the morning. And actually another interesting thing, Patricia, that maybe your listeners might um, be able to provide some interesting information on I've noticed a lot of people who take their cholesterol tablets at night it can disturb their sleep and it's purely something I'm just building up a bit of a picture of so I'd love to know if people have that problem because um, a lot of uh, then I think maybe just switching the tablet to the morning can help you know with with sleep deprivation so uh, I'd be interested to see if that's if it is a thing 
Okay. Hi, Annelise. My seven-month-old has eczema. Uh, You said a couple of weeks ago some ball for washing. I'm wondering where do you buy it? I'm putting steroid cream on him. What would you recommend to put on his skin? That's a Westport listener. Okay, so the steroid cream is great when it works because it can calm the eczema and the inflammation and the itch. But unfortunately, steroid cream is very bad for skin. And often when you stop using it, the eczema can return worse than before. So the first thing I'd recommend is the Eco Ball. It's a ball full of these kind of mineral, uh, these small round mineral balls. Uh, The outside ball is plastic and you throw it into the machine. I use it all the time, Patricia, actually, um, since the last six, probably six months I've started using it. And it's perfectly good to wash, wash clothes. I get a good result. I just put in a few essential oils then to scent my clothes nicely and I've absolutely no chemicals going into uh, my clothes or the water. So you'll be able to get one of those in a very good supermarket or possibly and, and probably any health store. It's just called an eco ball for washing your clothes. Um, the one I'm looking at in front of me here on the shelf is by a company called EcoZone. And they're really good value because you get about a thousand washes out of one and they're only around 30 euros. So in terms of putting creams on the skin then, there are ones that can work very well. I've had some good feedback on um, Child's Farm is a brand. Again, you'll get that in a health shop. Mugu is another one some people find can work, but I don't stock that here. Um, so I think you'd get that in a pharmacy. And there's another one that I get great feedback and success with, and it's Salcura, S-A-L-C-U-R-A, and they do a range for children called BioSkin. And that can be really, really relieving of the itch. And then for eczema, I always recommend um, a, 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 an essential, uh, sorry, an omega-3 fat that's high in DHA for the skin. Um, for kids, they'll go in and get a good fish oil for kids and a good probiotic for the gut because a lot of the immune response is going wrong in the gut and that's how it's affecting the skin. Okay, hi, Annalise. My son had an operation on his hand. Would Arnica help with the healing? And also, what about CBD oil? Would that help with the pain and with his moods? Says this listener. Yeah, it, it could do. Um, CBD can work for many different things. I have a lot of people taking it for sleep, for anxiety. I have people taking it for pain. And I have a lot of parents that find a great benefit with children for, with ADHD. So it's certainly worth a try for any of those things. Um, arnica is brilliant for healing. It's homeopathic arnica that you buy. You can have it as a rub, actually, and you can take it as a homeopathic remedy. So in this case, it would be probably good to do both. Um, the homeopathic remedy is good for any kind of healing after surgery, but you shouldn't take it before surgery because it may help to thin the blood, which isn't a good idea before going under the knife for anything. So um, make sure you just start taking it straight after surgery rather than before. It's great for any kind of a, bra- a sprain or a bruise as well, Patricia, and it's a common one. You'll find it in any health Yeah, store. it's great. It really is terrific. Here's an interesting one. Question for what deodorant would you recommend for an eight-year-old girl that's from Eileen and Clan. I'm surprised by that because I wouldn't have thought an eight-year-old little girl would need to use deodorant but obviously she does. Yeah well again I suppose it's very hormonal Patricia and young girls are developing much earlier now so if it is hormonal um, I think at that young especially to start on a natural deodorant. Now the natural deodorants are deodorants and not antiperspirant because they're not actually blocking the sweat glands from producing sweat they're just deodorizing the skin so I, I love the um, the salt of the earth ones there. They're based with a salt, either spray or roll on. And then the, some of them have lovely scents. And they actually have one for young girls that is really oh, do they? 
tastes lovely. Uh, sorry, it smells lovely. And the salt is good for killing the bacteria. Um, Tisserand is another brand that I really like as well that seems to work. Like, in, it's not going to, if you're going into a really important meeting, it's not going to prevent you from sweating, but it can prevent, you know, bad odour. But the big thing, Patricia, especially for the breast, is that oestrogen does drain through the leper, upper left quadrant of the breast into the system. And if you're blocking all those glands there with aluminium, um, it's just not a good idea, you know, to, to put aluminium underneath your armpits. So for anybody, I'd recommend, you know, it doesn't matter if you if you sweat. I mean, f- fresh sweat doesn't generally smell unless there's something wrong with your your system. Um, and it, uh, just an ordinary deodorant will should take care of that. OK, Jerry says, has high iron levels in his blood. What foods are good to reduce iron and what foods uh, should you not eat? I'm assuming Jerry's been diagnosed with hemochromatosis. More than likely, it's very common, actually, Patricia. To be honest, the best thing for hemochromatosis is to give blood. Um, and that's really the only way to get iron out. The problem is that you're absorbing too much iron from the diet. Um, you could avoid iron-rich foods, and they would be red meat. So maybe cut red meat out of the diet completely, and green leafy vegetables, cut them out of the diet. Um, other big sources of iron would be um, like the treacle, molasses, that type of thing. But that probably would be uncommon now these days to have. And other than that, really, there's no foods that you can take to decrease iron of stuff. It's probably better just to cut out the iron-rich foods. Okay, hi, Patricia Annalise. I have to go for a swab test for COVID-19 in a few days' time. It's to comply with hospital policy ahead of a surgical procedure a few days later. Firstly, does it hurt? And could Annalise suggest anything that might ease the anticipated discomfort that I hear some people experienced? Uh, experienced? Thank you, Anna. Now, have you been for um, a COVID-19 test no, no. Luckily, I have. OK, I have. I have. So I can jump in on this side of it. Uh, and, and I know the anticipation of it. I remember the day I had to go for mine. It was back in June or July. I kept thinking, oh, my God, the nose. I wasn't that worried about the throat one. It was the nose one I was worried about. I can tell you, Anna, it was over in seconds. It was slightly uncomfortable, but nothing like that I'd feared it would be. And it literally, it happens in seconds. But that's not to take away from you can be very anxious going for a test like that. So what would you suggest? Is there anything that Annalise yeah, so and Anna could take? A couple, a couple of things that might help there. Like lots of people would use the rescue remedy and they would yeah. find that's fantastic and that you'll be able to get that probably in, in not just in a health shop but more or less in, a, in most pharmacies as well. The cannabis oil is always great for that kind of thing as well. Or um, the other thing that's brilliant is the L-theanine. Um, now the cannabis oil don't invest in a big one, a big bottle unless you need it. You can get capsules um, you know, in a small packet and something like that would do the job. And L-theanine, um, higher nature, do a small pack of it for nine ninety nine, and you could you could take two of them before you go before in the morning. Actually, take two the night before, so you'll get a good sleep and you're yeah. not lying awake. It'll just relax it. you. It'll yeah, relax. But Anna, honest to God, and let me get, come back to me and let me know how you get on. It the anticipation is way worse than the actual test itself, and it's just all over in seconds, and it's not painful. It's more just uncomfortable than anything. It was just that uncomfortable feeling of somebody putting something up your nose. That's all it was, but it was seconds is all it took. Uh, hi, Patricia. Could you ask Annalise, is walking good for arthritis? Yes, I think any type of non-impact um, exercise is good for arthritis because moving your joints will help keep them mobile. Most people would find that they're much stiffer after long periods of time um, um, sitting down. So one of the things I would recommend is a good pair of shoes for walking because that definitely affects um, pain levels. And you could always use something like a magnesium rub 
as well for the muscles and the joints afterwards to ease any stiffness or pain from walking. I've um, recently started using one, Patricia, for my own sort of sore muscle back on my back called Pernaton. It's spelled P-E-R-N-A-T-O-N and it's for muscles and it gives this lovely heat like the deep heat did but a really deep heat into the muscle and it's really good for relieving any sort of stiffness that you're feeling. It's never going to cure the problem but by God the relief is almost immediate. So do keep up the walking. It's one of the best exercises for heart and for joints. And we were talking about eczema earlier. Somebody said, now, I'm always afraid that this isn't predictive text but somebody said child's farm. You heard that's of that? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the is, one I was saying. Oh, is that it? Sorry. Right. Is, the, yeah. is the only thing that worked for my son with severe eczema. Uh, it's great. It's a grapefruit one. Smells lovely and it worked yeah. where nothing else worked. So that's a good recommendation from Annalise as well. Question for Annalise, please. Is there anything that can be taken for reoccurring UTIs that need hospital stays? Wow. Oh, Lord. Wow. Yeah. So it's also with UTIs, Patricia, because the antibiotics while they can help immediately to clear out the infection, they also kill all the good bacteria. So, and bacteria are very clever. They find what they, they create something called a biofilm, which is like a little blanket they pull over themselves and hide under. So as soon as the antibiotic is gone, they can start coming out in numbers and multiplying again. So the best treatment is a combination treatment of good probiotic and something called D-manose. So it's spelled with a capital D, and then a hyphen, Manos, M-A-N-N-O-S-E. And actually, most good urologists are recommending it now in Ireland as well. So D-Manos is actually a type of sugar. It prevents the bacteria from being able to stick onto the side of the the urethra and the wall. Um, so that if they can't stick on, they get flushed through, they can't multiply. And if you've got a very serious problem, I would suggest that you take 1,000 milligrams or one gram of D-Manos three times a day. And I would take a probiotic like Cranbiotics or something similar that has cranberry extract plus the good bacteria in there. And I would take that three times a day as well for at least a couple of weeks and then go down to once a day for a maintenance. OK, we'll leave it there. Listen, have a great week and apologies to listeners that we didn't get to all your questions. Have a good week, Annalise. Annalise works at the Health Hub Times Square in uh, Ballincollig. And Mick in Donnerwell says, Hi Patricia, just listening about the eye injection. Every case is obviously different, but my dad had those injections and they worked very well. We'd go so far as to say the injections saved his sight. He can drive and he can read without glasses now. And that's from Mick in Donnerwell. Thank you for that, uh, Mick. And in in fairness to Catherine and Ballylicky, she did say uh, that it works for some people and it just seems very unfortunate that Catherine didn't realise what was happening with the sight in her only eye and that she didn't get to the doctor on time because I think if she did get to the doctor on time she could have gone on the supplements that Annalise was talking about or they may have been able to have got in there in time with those injections and her, her sight could have been uh, saved. And on air with people complaining about air and not able to get through to air and somebody saying their phone out for four week, or six weeks and just simply can't get through uh, maybe that lady could write to air and she's not on a own teller we spent one hour 45 minutes holding to get through to air to make a complaint about our uh, phone and we are in the East Cork area that is from uh, Mia and as I did say when I asked John Paul because he's dealt with so many people who've had problems with air in the past and he says his advice to anyone is patience 
Make yourself a strong cup of coffee, sit down with the phone and just hang hang in there. They will eventually answer and they will get, get around to you. They obviously simply just don't have enough uh, people answering the phones uh, for them, which seems crazy for a telephone company. OK, that's where I've got to leave it for today. Thanks to Sadie and to John Paul for taking your calls. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. And to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Look after yourself and stay safe. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.